Something extraordinary has happened to Judy Sizemore's closet, making it feel more like a closet. closet. An area that once caused claustrophobia now has enough space, space. space to hold all of Judy's striped boat neck sweaters. And Judy Sizemore has a lot of striped right, right. boat neck sweaters. sweaters. The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha, through October 13th. The Container Store, where space comes from. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. We welcome back everybody to another installment of the J.C. and Morgan podcast after a brief respite here in the offseason, which really is not much of an offseason anymore. SEC media days have come and gone as we sit here and record this installment. Uh, They've just wrapped up four days here in Atlanta. I am Mike Morgan of ESPN SEC Network. He is J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports. And we thank you once again for tuning in. And we're glad when you're mad. If you're mad, that means you're mad that you haven't heard from us in a couple weeks. That means you actually like the content that we're providing. That means we're doing something right. So please be mad when we're away and be happy when we're here. We're here now, so we're happy. I'm happy, J.C. Hopefully you are as well. Absolutely, Mike. Uh, it's always good when SEC Media Days comes around, or, or really any of the conferences media days, because that uh, is sort of the unofficial start to the season. We, we have like a two-week period before practice actually starts, uh, but there's usually, you know, a fair amount of news and, and kind of a testing of the waters, and it, it's, you know, especially in the Southeastern Conference, uh, it's a very traditional event. Of course, it's not in its traditional home this year. It's in Atlanta instead of Hoover, which I think was a great idea. Um, but uh, it's been, you know, a, an interesting bunch of days in terms of just kind of the state of the conference. And there's a lot of new coaches in the conference, and we're going to talk about those guys. Um, so it's always nice to hear that first sort of initial, you know, public outside of the introductory and the spring practice and all that, you know, introducing them to the conference media, conference public as a whole. Um, I always think that's interesting. You know, I thought, you know, Jeremy Pruitt, Dan Mullen, uh, Joe Moorhead, all of those guys, uh, I thought they were very interesting to listen to. And then there's, you know, veteran coaches that I think have been interesting to listen to as well. So it's been a good week. And this is always the time of the year where I kind of start to get uh, really fired up about college football. Uh, used to go to this event and then have a week in Orlando, Florida, uh, mm-hmm. where I covered a seven-on-seven. Seven. I sort of missed that because that usually took me right on up to practice and then practice started and it was awesome. But, um, you know, that doesn't happen anymore. But I've got some other exciting things coming up here in the next couple of weeks that will keep me plenty busy till the start of practice. Yeah, you, you and me both, and uh, you know we're we're also both products of uh, sports talk radio. Doing that, I mean, this I, I didn't do radio row this year as a host, but uh, about fifteen years of doing that, and it was a little bit different this year. I, I think we can all agree Atlanta would be choice number one over Hoover, Alabama. With all due respect to uh, uh, the fine folks there at the Winfrey Hotel and that hallway connected to the mall. But uh, the College Football Hall of Fame just seems like a no-brainer. The one thing I, I do hope, and this will mean nothing to virtually anybody other than the people in our profession, I do hope they can have actual 
Radio Row inside the same building. It was actually a cross in, a, in, a, in, the, in the Omni, so you had to walk down the hall, a little bit separate. Um, I, I hope that uh, that'll be adjusted. It's going to be back in Hoover next year, um, and then and then it sounds to me from the commissioner, Greg Sankey, who kind of hinted at this more than once, that they're going to take this show on the road, much like they do the NFL draft now. Um, it's become such a sought-after event. You know, I, I, my first one, I, I was uh, working college radio, and I remember we were at the uh, the Sheridan. I think it was in Birmingham, and, and there was like a hundred people there. I mean, it was you know the Tony Barnharts of the world were there, but there sure as heck wasn't fifty radio stations doing shows and five hundred to a thousand people walking the halls but this has now grown to the point where it is an event the sec made a very shrewd move uh putting it during the the dullest and most uninteresting week of the year and that is the all-star break for baseball so there's no games even in baseball there's nothing going on i mean absolutely nothing so the the times that i was not there uh i was like a lot of people just sitting back and watching it on the sec network and look is it captivating stuff no do major storylines come out of it? No. Is Nick Saban ever going to tell you who's going to be the starting quarterback at SEC Media Days? No. It is just what you said it is, JC. It's an excuse for us to kind of get back on track. And even though we still have to wait, wait about a month and a half for the actual opening week to get started, it, it does make us feel like it's truly football season. For me, um, you hit on it. One of the top subjects was this was the, the most turnover we've ever had in the coaching fraternity in the SEC. That was a major storyline last year. You and I talked about it last July, and it continued to be all through. It was the gift that keeps on giving all year, to quote Cousin Eddie from Christmas Vacation, kind of <laughs> like being a, a member of the, the Jello of the Month Club. The Tennessee situation alone was just, I mean, it was gold if you're, if you're doing anything that covers college football, be it a newspaper, print guy, a website guy, a radio guy, a podcast guy. Uh, I mean, it was just, uh, just it was like its own reality show, its own 30 for 30. So six new coaches, a new record, and I don't think any of the coaching hires are really controversial. Like Matt Luke, okay, he's the, the least of the names. But if you, if you are an Ole Miss person, you love Matt Luke. You are pulling like heck for Matt Luke to work. You're not really sure. The fact that they won those last two games last year and he won the Egg Bowl, that secured his his job. I, I, I mean, I'm not sure if they were going to keep him had it not been for that. But he kept it. He kept it when it was falling apart at the seams after the Hugh Freeze debacle. He kept it together. He makes sense. He's, he he played there. His father played there. I think his uncle or grandfather played there. He's Ole Miss all the way. He's the right guy for that job right now. Whether it works three years from now, I have no idea. Um, we'll, we'll get in at each team specifically and what we're looking for. Chad Morris is a guy that's been waiting for this type of opportunity. You and I have talked about Arkansas. I, I, I will uh, steal your phrase again and that uh, they are kind of in the abyss, and I don't know if they're ever going to be. I, I, I look at Arkansas, and I look at regardless of coaching hire, I just don't know if they're ever going to be anything close to what they were under Petrino for those couple of years I, I think Arkansas has a little bit of an identity crisis in the SEC. Uh, Dan Mullen at Florida, does anybody not think that doesn't fit or work? I, I, I don't think so. Joe Moorhead, perfect fit in my estimation. You might say, well, why? He's, he's got nothing to do with Mississippi or Mississippi State. 
there's a certain temperament that you have to have for that job, uh, and there and there's a certain uh, I don't know skill set that you have to have personality wise for that job. I think he's got it. Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M was the huge splash, seventy-five million dollars. Texas A&M is all in on him. Will they finally stop underachieving? Uh, and then Jeremy Pruitt, although it took a hell of a uh, route to get there, um, Jeremy Pruitt to me deserves a shot. I still think I liken him, and I'm surprised I haven't heard anybody else make this analogy, but I'll go with it again. I think it is Will Muschamp 2.0. Will Muschamp the first go-round when Florida hired him in that here is a championship coordinator everywhere he's been. When he talks, he's pretty impressive. He's got a great track as a recruiter. Uh, but you don't know how it's going to go. And at Will Muschamp's first go-round, it didn't go well. Now it is going well at South Carolina. I have no idea what Jeremy Pruitt's going to do at Tennessee. I know this much. That schedule, that group of players – They'll be lucky if they win five, six games. So those are six coaching hires. And I would also add, J.C., the in terms of this year, if you're looking for a lot of great hot seat discussion like last year, you're going to be disappointed because there's just not a lot out there. It starts and ends with Ed Orgeron of LSU. And you know my thoughts on that situation. I don't think he's going to last long. And then, you know, I mean, you could say Derek Mason. That Does that really even move the needle at Vanderbilt? Mark Stoops is always going to be mentioned, I think, in that breath. I think Mark Stoops is is the right guy for the job at Kentucky, if you're realistic about where Kentucky is and where they're going. But outside of that, I think it's going to be a pretty stable year in terms of coaching in the SEC. Yeah, I, I do too. I mean, all eyes will be on Baton Rouge. And unfortunately for Ed Orgeron, who I hope he you know wins and, and does a good job, and they've got a quarterback now, and I'm not so sure that – you know, depending on how they elect Steve Ensminger, who's a veteran offensive coordinator, uh, elects to evolve and run the offense, depending on how that happens, I think LSU could realistically finish third, and if they pull an upset or two, second uh, in the SEC West. Are they the best team going in? No. The hot pick is Mississippi State's going to finish in front of them, maybe Texas A&M. Somebody, a Mississippi State fan on Twitter the other day hit me up and said, LSU will not go to a bowl, I guarantee it. And they do have a tough schedule. We're going to find out quick because it's Miami, uh, it's another team, and then it's Auburn on the road. It's Miami and Dallas. Uh, it's a I don't know that what the other team is they play, but they should win that one. And then they play Auburn at Jordan-Hare uh, in the third game of the season. Um, LSU's recruiting is going well, fourth in the country right now. Um, I just think that if Joe Burrow can be the real deal – uh, and he was in the mix at Ohio State for the job. But when you have JT Barrett uh, and a guy like Dwayne Haskins, who ultimately won the job this year, uh, and you're good, and you're good enough to be the starter at most places, you're going to go someplace else. Uh, I think that kid could be really, really good. Uh, LSU's had success over the years, if we think about it, with you know kind of quarterbacks that uh, come from afar. Uh, Matt Mock was from – Santa Claus. No, yeah, he was from Rex Grossman was from Bloomington. Matt Mock was from Santa Claus, Indiana. Uh, won a national championship at LSU. Matt Flynn. Was I think Jay from, Cutler was, was from there too, wasn't he? Yeah, Jay Cutler Santa was Claus? from. Maybe Cutler was from Santa yeah, Claus. I think, I think Cutler's the Santa Claus guy. But Cutler. Unless there are two Santa Claus. Well, you know, December 25th, there's Santa Claus is all over the place. Cutler, Bloomington. I mean, I'm sorry. Cutler, Grossman, and uh, Mock were all from Indiana. Wow. Um, and then, you know, Danny Etling, I, I don't. I think he was from Indiana, too. I'm not sure. I know he came from Purdue. 
But, you know, I mean, LSU bringing a guy like that in, I think, is a, a, a good deal. I think he fits kind of what they do. He's tough. Uh, he's a lot like those guys, uh, like Mark I just mentioned, Matt Flynn. Um, you know, they lost some guys. They lost some very talented players, but we'll see. Uh, and then, you know, Derek Mason, my question is going to be, is Vanderbilt going to be satisfied – beating Tennessee, and they could beat them again this year, and that would be five of seven, and <laughs> occasionally going wow. to Shreveport. Because I, I, I don't think the nine-win teams under James Franklin are coming back. Um, no. I think that's that. I think with Kentucky, if you're Mark Stoops, um, you know, you kind of keep it above water. Uh, I, they have 18 starters coming back. I think they'll be back in a bowl game this year. But at some point, you know, seven wins is seven wins. I kind of see his situation, Mike, a lot like maybe Dan Mullins at Mississippi State, where he may have to be there for a while before maybe a good Big Ten job comes calling. You know, maybe there's a change at Iowa, uh, where if I'm not mistaken, you know, he went to school. Um, maybe he's in the mix for a K-State uh, when that opens. Um, I think he's a good enough coach to where he could go someplace else besides Kentucky and do very well, that being said. Guy Morris did it, and he went to a little school called Baylor, and I don't think we've heard from him again after he won eight games at no. Kentucky. So, you know, we'll just see. And I think that I think Kentucky is a solid program right now under Stoops. It's just a matter of ceiling. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and throw Barry Odom back on the hot seat. Um, he had a, one of the more fascinating years that nobody talks about. Started one and five. They were definitely in right. the abyss. All of a sudden, they play a bunch of teams that, for lack of a better term, have quit. You know, Vanderbilt, Tennessee, Florida, um, Arkansas. I mean, and they they scored in the 40s and 50s against those teams. Those teams had quit on defense by the time they played them. Uh, came back, lost to Texas in the Texas Bowl. Seven and six. You know, Josh Heupel gets the UCF job. Um and he hires Derek Dooley. Now there's two schools of thought. <laughs> there's two schools of thoughts on Derek Dooley. You know, I I was a uh, deal. I had Clay Travis uh, on one of my other podcasts, and as we know, he lives in Nashville. Is kind of connected with guys. And he said uh, one of the Cowboys players told him that on the chalkboard, Derek Dooley is one of the smartest coaches in the entire organization. Um, so we will see kind of how he runs the offense up there. But I think that could backfire on old Barry Odom because. Yeah, he's already run off the best defensive line coach in the country, who's now at mm. Alabama, by the way, Craig mm. Kuligowski, who developed all those really good defensive linemen that were kind of were kind of the staple of the Missouri program. Um, you know, lost his OC, fired another DC, has made some suspect hires with that staff. Yeah, I think Barry Odom's heck of a D coordinator still needs to prove it in terms of uh being a head coach and part of that's hiring a good staff. So those are kind of guys on my hot seat watch right now. I don't think there is anybody else that's realistically on there, but, um, no know, significant program. I, well, nah. I shouldn't, that's that. Let me, let me take that back. That's a wrong choice of words <laughs> from a national perspective. Yeah. Okay. When you have a year where the Tennessee coach, the Florida coach, the A&M coach, uh, all get fired, not to mention Arkansas, not to mention, that Mississippi State has to replace a nine-year successful coach in Dan Mullen, that's a landmark year in the SEC. If Coach Odom Mason gets fired, it, it doesn't move the needle nationally. It moves the needle somewhat in the league, although mainly in those two markets. But I, you know, I, I, I just Vanderbilt 
like you said, I, I don't see it returning to James Franklin. We have a bad habit as fans of particular schools taking the high watermark of a program and assuming that that's going to be the new norm. Uh, you're 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 very familiar with the South Carolina program. They win 11 games three years in a row, and and I think a lot of fans just thought that should be expected from from the from at that point on. Well, how many programs do you know in college football average 11 wins a year? You can count them on one hand. I mean, it's just not realistic. And for Vanderbilt, they've come a long way. Uh, I, I've been there to do games the last couple of years. Their facilities are much better, but look, they're still behind the eight ball in a lot of areas. Nashville's a really cool town. But Vanderbilt is 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 still behind the the curve when it comes to the SEC. So uh, if if for some reason this was Derek Mason's last year, and I don't think it should be, and I don't think it will be, I think they're gonna they got a veteran quarterback and Shermer, and they've got some running backs, and they've got enough athletes on defense. I think I heard the stat here t- today as well that they have uh, six three hundred pound defensive linemen. I mean, there were years where Vanderbilt didn't have one. Jordan Rogers talks about the fact when he was a starting quarterback there on those nine-win teams, their starting left and right tackle were 265 and 245, respectively. I mean, they've always just been undersized on the line. That is improving, but 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 they're always going to be behind uh, the Joneses in, in overall depth and athleticism. So, it, again, it all comes back down to LSU. And, and you know, I'm very curious. This is not a... a, a beat up on Ed Orgeron thing, but when, when I look at what happened in the offseason, J.C., I, they fired Matt, he fired Matt Cannon, not they. He pushed him out after one year, and basically during the uh, press conference this week said, well, it was a mistake. I made a mistake in the hire. Um, some would say Ed Orgeron makes a mistake trying to be involved in offense when he shouldn't. Just let, just let your coordinator call plays. Stop trying to dictate. And look, he's not the only head coach to do this. Ask any offensive coordinator who's worked under Nick Saban, and they'll tell you, uh, you're, you're going to call what you call within the framework of what Nick Saban wants you to call. So that's not unprecedented. But when you have been as putrid on offense as LSU has been, it might be the best idea for Ed Orgeron to just stay out of the way. Now, what does he do? He hires Steve Emsminger, and I know he's a name and a veteran, but that's a guy who's been around that program while they've struggled on offense. It, it, it smells to me like just a safe pick. Uh, it doesn't smell to me like a really innovative hire. Uh, and and I, I question where they're going again offensively at LSU. I, I think that they're, they're, this program can be divided into two, two categories, those that have quarterbacks and those that really don't know what the heck to expect. LSU is back in their familiar, don't know what the heck to expect. Uh, I, I agree with you, certainly Joe Burrow, is going to have a great shot to win that job. He might even be the favorite right now. But either way, they're going to have questions on offense again. There are seven teams in this league that all feel really good about – I mean, you look at the list of the quarterbacks. Remember how putrid it was two years ago? We had two Purdue transfers who were starting in the <laughs> SEC. That's Al- how bad it was. Austin uh, Appleby and Danny Etling. Yeah, I mean, two guys that, that couldn't even start for Purdue. And, and now we've got Stidham, Locke, Fromm. Bentley, Tua, Fitzgerald. I mean, there's some NFL guys on that list. Shermer is not to be overlooked. Tayamu of Ole Miss. Uh, I know I'm forgetting at least one guy. But, I mean, that's a good list of quarterbacks. That's a really solid list of quarterbacks. And and almost every one of those teams that has a 
quality returning starter quarterback is in pretty good shape. The other ones, it's a big old mystery. And, and I'll say this uh, just as kind of a, another macro overview statement. A year ago we sat here, and I thought there were three teams that were going to be relevant for Atlanta for the championship game. I thought only one could win in the East. It was Georgia. I thought two could win in the West. It was Alabama and Auburn. And and one of those three teams was going to walk away with a trophy. And as we all know, it got a little quirky there. Uh, you had the rematch of Auburn-Georgia. Georgia wins the rematch. Alabama, who winds up winning the national championship, they don't even win their own division. But basically, it's, it, it was three teams. And everybody else was kind of scratching and clawing to, and fighting their way to some sort of relevance or improvement or what have you. I got to be honest with you, as good as this league is, I don't see a lot of difference. And I know a lot of people disagree with me. Hell, I, I've, I've felt the hatred, the, the wrath from LSU fans last year. How could you not think we can win the West? Florida fans, we're good enough to win the East. Tennessee, I had a Tennessee guy jump my rear end because I didn't think that Tennessee had a chance to winning the East. They were 0-8, sir. Um, I look at it this year as the same way. Like, I... I know South Carolina's on the rise. I think Florida will be on the rise with Dan Mullen, but I don't see either one of them in Georgia's class right now. And in the West, Alabama and Auburn, and who else? So Texas A&M and Mississippi State could be great stories. That, that uh, People love jumping that Mississippi State bandwagon this year. My goodness, the way some people are talking, you think they're contending for a national title. But they're not, they're not where Auburn, Alabama is. They're, they're just not. And so I think we still have about three teams that truly have a chance of winning the SEC championship. And then I see a, a, a nice group of schools in the middle, and then the bottom is is the bottom. There are schools that simply are not equipped to win. And when I say that, uh, and again, you know, I hope I'm wrong, so I'll, I'll, I'll take the, the, the bows and arrows if I am. Arkansas is going to have a, a hard time winning games. Uh, I, I believe Tennessee is going to have a hard time winning games. I believe there is a ceiling for, for Vanderbilt, whatever that is. I mean, it, it's not, you know, they're not winning nine games with, with what they have coming back. So that's the way I look at the league. Tell me what you think. I, am I, where am I off? Where am I crazy on this? I, I don't, I don't think you are. I, I, I'll say this. I, I think last year, those three teams you mentioned were, closer together or are a little more evenly matched than maybe this year. Um, I still like Auburn a lot. I think if Auburn were in the East, like a lot of their fans want them to be, um, they'd be, the, they'd be the favorite over Georgia, in my opinion, to win the division. Um, I'd, I, I, I think that, you know, they did beat Alabama last year. I think Alabama's going to have a better team this year. It sounds weird saying that about the defending national champions, but uh, I think Alabama's going to be a lot better. Because you think uh, they're going to score more points. They're going to score right. more points. Their defense is going to reload. They've had they, they got some linebackers back that are healthy, although they have lost two. Um, you got Christian Miller, Anthony Jennings is ready to go. They've got a great defensive front like they always do. They got a great bunch of secondary guys and some young secondary players that I think are going to blow people's socks off. Um, they're four deep at running back, including Damian Harris, uh, who's I think rushed for a thousand yards the past two years. Plus, um, the kid from California that showed out in the, um, national championship game, the, the fourth teamer, uh, he, he may be better than all of them. Uh, you know, uh, you have those receivers that were freshmen, uh, that are now sophomores. You have Tua, who I think is the best quarterback in the SEC. And then you got Jalen Hurts, who I think is a top five quarterback in the SEC. And you know what? Whoever wins that job, you can play them both. 
because uh, they do different things. Plus, you're, you're transitioning to Mike Loxley as your offensive coordinator, passing game coordinator. He's a spread guy. I think they're going to spread the field more. Um, and that, and we would do more tempo within the parameters of how Nick Saban wants to run it, of course. Um, and, and I think that Georgia – and I have to be careful saying this, Mike, because that game in Columbia the second week of the season and the fact that Will Muschamp and Kirby Smart at this point are going head-to-head with more top recruits than at any point I can remember South Carolina and Georgia going head-to-head for recruits for with, with each having a legitimate shot to get them. Um, and that's a tribute to what Muschamp's doing at South Carolina, quite frankly, and the facilities they're building over there, et cetera. Um, they're on the internet with, with the, the internet fan base, there's a lot of rivalry right now. So, so I don't want to come across like a Georgia hating Gamecock Homer here. Um, cause I don't, I don't hate Georgia. And, and I was, I agreed with the fact that they were going to be really good and they got better and better. And I even said this week, I think Jake Fromm and Justin Fields, as starting quarterbacks, I know they could be on the same roster and do this. Um, as starting quarterbacks, could both walk away with national championships during Kirby Smart's tenure. I think this year, though, is it's going to be like Alabama's 2010 team, young but talented, but going to drop some games. Uh, in my opinion, I think it's going to be like you know a, a follow up year. Um, just because people these days, because of recruiting, and I'm not trying to, I guess, stab my profession in, in the back or anything, but, but they expect it almost to be like basketball. Like, oh, well, we've got the Fab Five coming in, Fab Five coming in, so we can go to the Final Four. No. Experience means a lot in college football. And there are some spots where Georgia lost some really good players. Roquan Smith could have been the best defensive player in college football, and quite frankly, mm-hmm. I think he was the best linebacker. Uh, Certainly in the SEC. Yeah, you lose a Lorenzo Carter. You lose some guys out of that secondary. You lose Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle. And, and I know you're not going to worry about running back if you're the University of Georgia because, heck, Holyfield's good. DeAndre Swift could be special. Heron is a very, very good back. Um, they're deep at running back. Jake Fromm comes back. I think they've got p- more potential at receiver than people think. I, you know, is Demetrius Robinson, Robertson going to come in and set the world on fire like he did at Cal in a spread offense? No, because they're not going to chuck it around the yard like that. But he's very, very good as well, and he could be eligible immediately. We have to see about that. Their offensive line loses some guys. I thought that unit last year – uh, for Georgia is less talented than this group, but this group's still not experienced. And I'll, I'll use an example here about the South Carolina game in week two. All right. Isaiah Wilson, I think his name's Isaiah Wilson, is a franchise left tackle that Sam Pittman, who's the best offensive line coach in the country for my money, signed out of Brooklyn, New York when he got to Georgia. This guy, you know, if he develops, is a no-brainer first-round draft pick. Going to probably start at left tackle. Um, ran a 4-8-40 at 6-7-3-22 at a uh, camp at a school in the SEC when he was a recruit. Okay. Stud. All right. So, he redshirted last year. This will be his first road game in college football. Uh, he's going to be matched up against a guy named DJ Wanham, who was a two-star recruit that Will Muschamp flipped from Indiana out of Stevenson High in Atlanta, who started his first year who became one of the top five guys in tackles for loss in the SEC, his second, and who could be all SEC in his third. Now, D.J. Wanham probably does not possess the natural talent that Isaiah Wilson does. 
But you think about those individual matchups and experience, especially early in a season, especially going to Williams-Brice where Georgia's struggled, especially going to Baton Rouge, which is never going to be easy no matter what shape LSU is in. You know, those are the types of things and the types of kinks that could cause Georgia to lose some games. Plus, you have to remember, Auburn is still on the schedule. You know, Florida is going to be better, and historically, the Gators sometimes, you know, jump up and bite the Bulldogs. Uh, although, I don't think there's a there's a chance that – in the world that Todd Grantham is going to be able to devise a scheme to stop them because see last year's Mississippi state game in Athens and see how good they shut Mississippi state down last year. And, you know, Mississippi state probably had better personnel than Florida will uh, overall, but that game's weird. You know, you still got some games this year that Georgia could probably, uh, you know, lose. I, I, I think that, you know, there are going to be years like this in a building process when you have a lot of seniors depart. They lost 30 seniors, but let's face it, a lot of those guys didn't play. They're still the most talented team in the East, and I can't credibly pick anyone else but Georgia to win the SEC East right now. But I don't think that it's national championship or bust this year in Athens. I don't think that they're Alabama yet. I don't think that they're Clemson. I think that there's still work to be done And some of the stuff, not just from their fans, Mike, but from pundits that have anointed Georgia, uh, you know, as as the next as the next Alabama right now. You know, I think they'll get there. But right now, I think it's premature. You look at that team last year; they were blown out by Auburn on the plains. They come back. Auburn has a ton of injuries. They beat them good in the SEC championship game. Uh, Say what you want about Oklahoma; they played no defense. Um, and Georgia won a shootout out there, and then they played Alabama off their feet until the end when they couldn't pull it out. So that was second a and twenty-six, twelve and two football team, and then that's great, and that's a breakthrough. And, and and man, they were very very close. But look, Georgia was close to winning the SEC in two thousand twelve, lost to Alabama on the last play, and that would have probably won them one under Rick because they'd have beaten that Notre Dame team. Uh, and then what happened the next the next year? You know, they kind of, I don't know. Uh, they want. They want. I believe they. I believe that that's the year Missouri uh, won the SEC. That so, is so, the first of two. Yeah. Yeah, and and Georgia did have some injuries to Nick Chubb and some things like that. But look, I, you just don't know. I, I'm just not. You know, Georgia goes out and does it this year. You know, they need to have a year like Clemson had last year, when everybody's like, "Okay, Superman's gone. How good is this program really?" Well, the Tigers backed it up. They ran through roughshed through the SEC, went to the playoff again, ran into Alabama and lost. That's the kind of year Georgia has to have in order for, I think, it to be realistic to say, okay, you know, there, there's no more Georgia being Georgia dropping games they shouldn't. There's going to be no dip years, that type of thing, which is very hard to do in the SEC. I mean, as good of, of a program as Auburn is, you know, eight and five, seven and six, eight and five, ten and four last year. I mean, you know that, that that's that's Auburn's reality the last four years, and that that's really one of the better programs in college football. So, you know, I want to see him do it. I think that game in Columbia, second week of the season, is going to be huge. I, I think the Gamecocks with the players they return uh, and the fact Georgia struggles historically over there um, are not going to lose by the fourteen point spread I see out there. Um, I've seen some ridiculous takes. Uh, on that game from some of the Georgia media so far. Um, but but I'm, I'm just saying, you know, Georgia has not arrived. You know, that's a program that should win one, two, three. That's a program that should be as consistent as Alabama. 
Um, and, and they have to do it. I mean, last year's over. Some of those players are gone. You know, let's see them line up and run through the SEC East this year. And I think they'll win the division. They're my pick to do it. Um, and then I'll say, hey, you know, right now, at this current time, at this moment, you know, Georgia is right up there with Bama. Well, and this is – yeah, I mean, there's – you said a lot there, so let me let me go one by one. Somebody posed a good question um, the other day, and I can't remember who it was, and that is as it pertains to this game in week two. And it's, it's certainly not too early for us to delve deep into this because this is the first marquee conference game. And at some point I want to get into what was a great rivalry and will it ever be again, and that's Florida-Tennessee as those two programs are coming off a combined 3-15. and 15. That's right, 3-15 and 15 conference mark between Tennessee and Florida a year ago. Um, I, I, the question was, is Georgia closer to Alabama or is South Carolina closer to Georgia? And I, that made me think for a minute. Because, I mean, we all agree South Carolina's on the rise. Um, but there's still a pretty good gap there talent-wise. You know, they're, they're top to bottom. I think Georgia right now is closer to Alabama in terms of just talent. Now, they are not the machine that Nick Saban has created there because it's not just the fact that they have more five-star guys at you than you do. Uh, they lose coordinators every year. They've lost two this year in Tuscaloosa, and they've got to uh, change all that. And yet, it, it just doesn't phase. I mean, Nick Saban, say what you want about him, man. He is <laughs> – I never thought I'd see somebody who changed – uh, the SEC, the way, say, a Spurrier did in the 90s at Florida. Nick Saban has surpassed that and then some, and he's he's just he's done a job we've not seen in our lifetime in college football as a whole. So that, it, it's it's not fair to say Georgia's right near Alabama. you got to start winning national championships before that statement's even made. But in terms of what they're doing now that they couldn't do under Mark Richt, without jumping the gun too much, I, I certainly think they're on the right track. I say that, to me, Georgia's a fairly easy pick in the, to win the East because I can hedge my bets and say this. Anybody who has followed Georgia-South Carolina over the years knows that particularly when they play in Week 2 at Williams-Brice, do not put all your money, don't put all your chips on Georgia. Okay, fine. If South Carolina won that game, it would not shock me. You're playing Georgia at the right time. They're still working guys out, uh, new starters on defense at key spots. And it's going to be an unbelievable atmosphere at Billy Bryce. And you've got guys like Bentley. And, and now, you've, of course, you've got Debo back. And uh, everybody's a, a year stronger. Yeah, it, you, maybe you win like a low-scoring, ugly game, like a 20-17 like a to 17 type game. Okay, let's just say that happens. Guess what? Georgia could still win the division. I, I don't maybe see as many losable games as you do on their schedule. I, I certainly think Auburn's won. They get Auburn at home. I, I don't think they lose to Florida. I just, if, I, I'm not a Felipe Franks guy, and I, Dan Mullen's not a miracle worker. He had some good quarterbacks in Starkville. Uh, Florida does not have a good quarterback right now, so I, I don't see that as a – at LSU, you're right, always tricky. Could they lose that? Possibly. That's it. I mean, that's their first losable game after South Carolina, and that's October the 13th. I, I just think it sets out fairly well where Georgia's a, 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 the safest pick in this league to win their division. And then in the West, of course, you've got, uh, you've got Auburn, Alabama, and, and with all due respect to LSU again, with all due respect to Texas A&M, 
Um, who I do think, if we're talking about surprise teams, everybody's already said Mississippi State, so let's get off that and, and, and try to be a little bit original. I think Texas A&M, if, if Starkle is the man, I'm, I'm not a Mond guy, if Starkle is the man, uh, I think they could certainly make some drastic improvements and, and kind of stub some people's toes, hurt some people's seasons. I think Kellen Mond is a great quarterback. I, I just think that with what Jimbo Fisher is going to do on offense, he's probably not the fit uh, that, that needs to be. Here's the thing with the Aggies that intrigues me. And 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 we're going to answer this question, I think, about Texas teams and defense. Um, and, you know, as far as where they recruit, the types of kids they recruit, is there an interest in playing defense in the state of Texas anymore, that type of thing? Um and, and I think, uh, besides that TCU, of course, I think Mike Elko is one of the best defensive coordinators in college football. Uh, and I say that not because Notre Dame had a world-beating defense, but they were really good at times. Uh, it's because of what he did at Wake Forest. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, you want to talk about a place that's not close talent-wise, and, 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 you know, you expect Wake Forest – you know, if they're good, they're going to be able to have some kind of, you know, trick offense that's hard to scheme for, like they had under Grobe and tough to stop. And, yeah, they'll be gritty on defense. But, you know, they're not going to be, like, shutting people out. <laughs> Mike Elko coordinated those types of defenses at Wake Forest that at times were very, you know, stalwart. And so that was a big coup, I thought, for Jimbo to get him. Another thing is Jimbo, he's not running the Kevin Sumlin offense that we've seen. He's going to run his offense with a few wrinkles here and there. Uh, Jimbo's a great play caller and a great offensive coordinator, and he's got Daryl Dickey there to kind of help him with that. Um, uh, And, you know, one thing they do believe in, that they did believe in at Florida State, he did at LSU before that, is running the football. Um. Texas A&M has Travion Williams, who's an outstanding running back. They've recruited very well on the offensive line over the years. They've recruited outstanding on defense. They just haven't run the ball, and and you know, in a traditional sense, and and they haven't played defense uh, in quite a while. So if Elko can get the defense going, and Travion Williams could be uh, an outstanding playmaker. You know, if he could be a DeAndre Swift tight, he's been really good for a long time. And they have other backs behind him. And they have good receivers. And and Starkle is a very accurate passer. Um, you know, they 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 may not be in a bunch of 54 to 48 games, 45, 38 games like they were under Sumlin, but they may be able to win games 27-17 because they're fine. The wrecking crew will come back. They're finally playing defense. They have a lot of talented guys. That can make things happen. Hmm. Um, so, 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 as opposed to Mississippi State, to where and, and I like Joe Moorhead, but I've quite frankly got some questions about Nick Fitzgerald not in Dan Mullen's offense. Mm-hmm. Call me crazy because got to prove he can throw the ball. Love Nick Fitzgerald, but uh, you look at what they did with McSorley at Penn State and some of those. You know, love Joe Moorhead, and the, and he does have one of the more more talented top to bottom Mississippi State teams back. I mean, Mullen, great defensive line. <laughs> Mullen's got to play Mississippi State this year at Florida, which is going to be interesting. Um, you know, so A and M to me is very very intriguing. LSU is intriguing. I think Arkansas, Ole Miss, every year I, I struggle with who to pick last in the West. 
But I think Arkansas and Ole Miss are bringing up the rear. Um, we'll see who finishes fifth. Heck, maybe it is LSU. Probably not, though. Um, you know, so the West to me, it's Alabama, it's Auburn, then it's everybody else. Um, I went with LSU, A&M, Mississippi State in fifth, which people are going to get mad at me for, especially psychotic Mississippi State fans on, on Twitter, and I'm only talking about one or two of you. Um, you know, Ole Miss, then Arkansas. Because I, I just think Arkansas is undergoing such a dramatic transition with their offense that it, it, it's just night and day. And Chad Morris is going to have to recruit some of his guys in there. They're going to have to get better. They got John Chavis up there on defense. But, you know. <laughs> it was a disaster at Texas A&M. Total disaster. Probably, I don't know. I don't know what to think about old Chief, but uh, they got talk him. A, talk about a stock that's dropped heavily. <laughs> I mean, that's like uh, Enron 10 years ago. John Chavis <laughs> used to be the man at Tennessee. And, I mean, uh, his style, he was like he was like Bud Foster hype when it came to D coordinators. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes those guys, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Sometimes the, the magic just runs out, and it ran out at A&M. And I don't think that's a really inspirational hire either. Um, to go back to your comments on A&M, you know, remember, I'm with you on Travion Williams. I think he's one of the more unheralded backs. We've got so many good backs in the league this year again. Sometimes it's hard to, like, even tell them apart. Um but remember, so much of his damage came when Trevor Knight was the quarterback. And so you had to respect what what he could do. They didn't respect any uh, – they, they didn't respect what they had going on at quarterback last year to the point where defenses were really worried about Mond and, and things just started to unravel there. I, I, I think if – again, if Starkle can show under Jimbo's guidance with an arm and a true legitimate passing threat downfield – then Travion gets back to what he can be. As you mentioned, they recruit offensive linemen well. Uh, th- they have to shed the label of being soft, right? I mean, Texas A&M the last few years, the the image of them under Kevin Sumlin, who had a, a dream opportunity, and, and again, I've always been a, a fan of Kevin Sumlin, going back to dealing with him when he was at Houston. Uh, but that was a that was a flop. That way he, he walked into a situation where you have a Heisman Trophy quarterback and, and Johnny Manziel, and the moment Johnny left town, Kevin Sumlin looked lost and did not look like a man who was ready to lead a premier program. Jimbo Fisher obviously is, but they, they've got to change the, 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 the DNA of that program as being soft, a program that puts out NFL guys every year and has everything going for it in terms of recruiting base and facilities uh, and obviously money. <laughs> we know they got money, um, but he, he's got to change that. And I think the feeling from a lot of people nationally outside the bubble of College Station is if for some reason this doesn't work, right, this is always a scary part of to me when a program gets that dream hire and everybody is, I mean, you win the press conference and you can't wait, wait to run out on your message board and start talking trash and we did it, we did it, we did it, we're finally going to get over the hump. What happens if Jimbo doesn't turn it around? What happens if Texas A&M continually is behind Alabama, Auburn, and assuming LSU gets its stuff together, LSU? What happens if they're perennially fourth or fifth in the Western Division and you just paid your dream coach $75 million? At that point, you're almost, it's like a life sentence of that's where you are. That's where your place is. I don't think that's the case. I think Arkansas is more in danger of something like that. 
I think with Chad Morris, and he kept stressing this week at Media Days, we're going to go fast, 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 fast. Okay. <laughs> I mean, and then what? <laughs> Are you going to stop anybody on defense? Because the opposing offenses, they looked really fast when they're rolling up 40 points a game in conference play. But Arkansas gave up 40 points a game in SEC games last year. That's unheard of, even in today's day and age of college football. They never seem to have uh, enough athletes on defense to be uh, relevant enough. You know, again, say what you want about Petrino. He did some smoke and mirror jobs at the time he was there, and I think that was the high watermark for Arkansas in the West. I, I just don't see – all these things are cyclical to a point, J.C., but at the end of the day, let's be honest, college football – is still a rich get richer and and the rest keep trying type of sport. And I'm not just talking financially. I'm talking about tradition and those those bell cow programs aren't going anywhere. You know, Clemson's kind of the latest one to join the the fun. But when you look around and you look at the top 25 and you look at who's in the college football playoff every year and you look at who's projected to go again this year, it's just it's the usual suspects, right? I mean, we're not we're not breaking a whole lot of ground here. There there are so many programs. It almost seems like they're predestined to be eight and four, seven and five, and that's the best you can do on average. Yeah, and I, and I think there's a few of those in the SEC. And I, th- I don't, I don't know that you you ever count Arkansas out in terms of you know their tradition, and, and they'll have good teams, and and you know in the in kind of the, this period, um, you know since, gosh, I guess it was the mid two thousands, late two thousands. You know, the Petrino era was a high-water mark. They never won a division. They didn't want a Super Bowl. I, I, l- let's call it since Saban got to Bama, you know, in terms of um, that. And sorry that bell went off there. Um, you know, but Arkansas is also a team that under Houston Nutt or twice and under Danny Ford once in the 90s when the West was down, 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 Very uh, went to Atlanta three times. So, you know, can it be done? Absolutely. We'll, we may be looking back 15 years from now, you know, going, hey, in the 90s they did it, <laughs> and yeah. using that again. Yeah, Mississippi State under Jackie Sherrill also went there. Um, but that was when Alabama was in the wilderness. Uh, that was when Auburn had the Terry Bowden era that, that started great when they were on probation and then never quite got back there. Tennessee and Florida were the monsters of the entire league. Uh, LSU was not back. Saban had not gotten to LSU yet. Um, they were quite frankly bad sometimes. Uh, JC, they- I got I, I got four words to just to amplify your point. Sorry to interrupt you, Jerry Donardo, Mike Dubose. Yeah, those are two men that were leaders of Alabama and LSU back in that time frame. In other words, we ain't going back there. Like that, it, that was when you had a chance to knock those programs down, but. I don't think I don't think we're getting back there. Even if Saban retired tomorrow, like obviously there's going to be a drop off. But come on, Alabama's not going to stop being contenders for national championships. LSU's always going to have great recruiting advantages. Auburn's going to be all like I, I just I don't think if you're in that bottom third or half or whatever you want to call it of the SEC West. It's a hard, hard forecast for you, man. I, I mean, it really is because there's no reason to think that those top programs are going to go back to the days of, again, not to pick on the same thing, Mike DeBose, Jerry DiNardo. I, I, I just don't see that happening anytime 
<laughs> maybe in our lifetime. I mean, Alabama's not, and 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 I'll tell you why, Alabama Alabama fans. I I got a another thing on Twitter this week that's that it was like, oh, when Saban hangs it up, we're we're gonna have to go back to reality. And I'm like, no, you're not. Um, as good at times as I think Les Miles was at keeping it going, keep in mind Nick Saban left a program there for Les Miles, who, if you look at his record at Oklahoma State, wasn't that spectacular, folks. Um, Les Miles was able to win a, a national championship in year three with that program. And Les Miles is a good recruiter and stacked talent on talent, and he actually had a good plan on offense that year. Then in 2011, he almost won it again. LSU became a national power and continued to be a national power until the last two or three years when, you know, Bama just kind of, I guess, uh, built the gap. Auburn came back under Miles, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and that program was in the abyss and the wilderness going back and forth between the two, you know, for 20 years. Um, and, and and so I think that as, you know, if Ed Orgeron has success, let's say they have a surprising season or, you know, whoever gets that job at some point brings the back. I mean, it's still because of Nick Saban. The, the, the success he's had at Alabama has been – you know, first of all, twice as long, twice as unprecedented, even for the standards of that program. How, how long is Alabama football going to be up just because of Nick Saban? And I, and I liken it to this. All right, so, say you take over for Steve Spurrier, and I've talked at length with multiple staffs that have taken over from Steve, or with multiple coaches that have been on staffs that have taken over for Steve Spurrier, both at Florida and South Carolina. Best coach in the history of either program, bar none. Um, Agreed. And and let's be honest, the you know the talent situation at South Carolina when he left was a lot different than it was at Florida, where he left Rex Grossman and a bunch of good players. But Steve Spurrier pulls up, and, and, and we'll liken it to giving you a car, right? He pulls up, and he's been driving and winning races, you know, let's say illegal street races uh, or something like that. Let's just, let's just bear with me, folks. Uh, and he pulls up, and this car, man, it's a championship car, and it's got, you know – you know, hell on wheels written across the side. And you know that that, that daggum car has won a lot of races, Mike. And and it's it's been really, really good. But you get in it, and the seats are all ripped up. Uh, there's, you know, beer cans down there on the floorboard. You pop open the hood. It needs new plugs. Uh, it needs an oil change. Uh, you maybe need to get a tire. Um, it's been run all to HE double hockey sticks. All right, let's say you take over, you know, Nick Saban is also a street racer, and you, you get his car, which also has won a lot of races, probably more than Spurrier's, and he pulls up. You get in it, you can't even tell the thing's been driven. It looks like the day he rolled it out of the shop. The paint is fresh, the tires are good, you pop open the hood, man, you don't, you don't need to do any work for it. And that's the difference. That because and 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 it's not just Saban versus Spurrier. I use Spurrier as an example because I'm I'm you know familiar with it. It's really Saban versus anybody because of how he builds the program. People want to know why is Bama good every year? Well, they sign all these five star players. No, they do. That's that's a fact that they do. But look at the bottom. If you want if you want to be impressed with Alabama and how they build the roster, number one, look at their attrition rate. Um, there was this outrage from some Big Ten homers a couple of years ago about Nick Saban processing players. And if you really look at it, 
lot, players don't leave Alabama in droves. There are some that transfer, but they, their numbers are, you know, for the way they recruit players, their numbers are not as not any higher than anywhere else in the country, and in some cases are lower. And in some cases, it has to be a disciplinary issue for it to happen, in most cases. Number two, look at the bottom third of their recruiting classes and go and pick out the future NFL players. Go back through his whole tenure. You know, Dante Hightower was a low four-star player. Courtney Upshaw, I think some people had him as a three-star. Um, you know, that kind of got – Mark Ingram definitely was a three-star. You know, you go back through time and, and you look at it, it's not so much that they get the top-rated players. It's that they get, the, they get the right ones. And that roster's loaded, and it will be loaded for three or four years after he leaves. I mean, you could have Bobo the Clown coach Alabama football to at least eight or nine wins in the SEC uh, with that roster – um, you know, once he leaves. So, so I, th- I think Bama's there to stay. Now, some of these other programs, eh, maybe not. But I'm absolutely with you. You know, they, they have that thing that says built by Bama. That's kind of a marketing tool they use. That's um, you know, built by Bama, built by Saban. That actually means something, I think, um, in terms of uh, longevity of a program. I, I do, too. And I, I, I think to a lesser extent, I think nobody's going to be uh, – taking over that program in the same shape that Nick Saban's going to leave it in because I don't think anybody – Nick Saban's not going to roll out on a you know a 3-9 and nine season. He's, he's probably going to roll out off a national championship and say now it's time. Although when you, when you listen to him and if you're around him, there is nothing that le- – I mean, that guy is closing in on 70, but he doesn't look like it, doesn't act like it, doesn't talk like it. You get the feeling even though he's got – grandkids and, a, and a, a wife that he loves dearly his life is motivated by that job uh and some of us have always been uh, guilty of that as well um that i i don't see him stepping away anytime soon but i i do think that you know i mean look, gus malzahn was almost fired last year folks and then he then he won some important games and then he had the ad over a barrel and then he got a contract extension but if gus malzahn was fired I think Auburn would hire somebody that would keep them in that 10-win-a-year uh, range. And LSU, even if it does not work out with that Orgeron, and I certainly have my doubts, I do think their next hire will will make a lot of sense. They, they got all wrapped up into Tom Herman and then Jimbo thinking they were going to get one of those guys, and neither worked out. They rolled, rolled snake eyes and wound up going with Coach O, but... but that's such an attractive job. There's always going to be incredible talent in that state that I, I think they're they're going to be on solid footing for a while. Some of those other programs in the West, I'm, I'm not as confident in. Um, and then in the East, all you have to do is look at where Florida and Tennessee fell to know that they are not a lock. Florida and Tennessee are not a lock to stay great. Uh, outside of Steve Spurrier and Urban Meyer, right? Spurrier was there 12 years. Urban Meyer was there, what, six, seven? Six. Six. Okay, so that's 18 years. What's the other 100 years of Florida football look like? It hadn't been great. Oh, oh right? and, and, and let me just point this out, too, about Urban. Um, it's uh, Three of his six years, Mike, were two Outback Bowls and a Capital One slash Citrus Bowl that um, they lost to the Michigan team that lost to Appalachian State. Yeah, and right. they and they had the Heisman Trophy winner Tebow, and and I don't think Urban, you know, even though some of his Ohio State teams maybe have not gone and won a national championship, 
Ohio State's been consistently good. So I, I think that, um, you know, I think that Florida job is a paper tiger in some ways when you look at the success that any coach besides Spurrier's had there. Yes, Urban Myers was a Hall of Famer and a great coach, and he won two national titles, and that was great, and that, that shows that that program has that type of ceiling. But his other three years weren't that good, and he ends up going going and leaving, and right. now he's happy as a lark at Ohio State. Steve Spurrier is the king of that entire operation down there. He leaves, goes to the and leaves a good team behind, goes to the pros, bombs out, then goes and coaches ten and a half years at South Carolina. Yeah, I mean these are not guys that are just leaving coaching and retiring. You know, these are guys that still have a lot in them. They're just walking away from that job. My question is why? Is it the boosters? Uh, I know a bunch of Florida fans. I love just about every one of them. They're good, knowledgeable fans. They feel they have a great home field advantage. You do have an excellent talent base down there, even though it's not as much of a lock as it used to be that those kids stay in state. That's still the state of Florida. It's a very, very attractive job. They're now building facilities. Um, I, I don't time. <laughs> I, I, I know, but I, I just I don't get it. I, I just you know I, I just don't get it uh, as far as you know why a lot of good coaches have walked in and gotten punted from well, that job and gone and had success elsewhere. You you hit on a key factor, and, and that is the expectation level is unreal at Florida. And it wasn't that way before Spurrier, but it's been that way ever since. And then Urban just just amplified it with two national titles. Um, and so now, again, if you win less than ten, don't 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 call me up and ask for money if you go to a, a an Eastern Division Championship play in Atlanta and then get waxed in the SEC championship game and say that you had a great year, Jim McElwain, because we don't want to hear it. That's that's the common response from the, the Florida boosters and, and the, 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 the true power players surrounding that program. Uh, they expect it to be back the way it was when Spurrier was there. And by golly, even if you're going to lose some games, score some damn points. I mean, the, the DNA of that program will always be, from that point on, you've got to be able to pass the ball and, and have success putting points on the board, particularly through the air. And... They haven't been able to do that for since Tim Tebow. Remember now, Tim Tebow was not just a runner. He did throw for 3,000. <laughs> I know he wasn't a great NFL passer, but he was a very capable college football passer. So they, there was a time that long ago where they could actually throw the football and beat people that way, and, and since then they haven't been able to do it worth a lick, and, and that's going to be the job now for Dan Mullen. Uh, and I think the other question becomes – Tennessee has been so beat up and battered psychologically with what they've gone through. I mean, how many premier programs do you know of, J.C., that made not one, not two, but three consecutive bad hires with their head football coach? That's what they've done, essentially, in Knoxville. Three in a row. Well, they, so, yeah. yeah. They, you got to get this one right. They, they've made no sense. and They've had an opportunity to maybe think outside of the box a little bit and get some guys. And, um, you know, <laughs> I don't know that Lane Kiffin was a bad hire. I think that forcing Philip Fulmer out when they did, rather than telling him, look, the claw fence sucks, man. You're not scoring any points. Um, these other programs are getting the best of you because you can't score points because Dave Clawson, who is good on offense at Wake Forest, by the way, uh, this offense is terrible. You need to, you need to scrap it. 
Uh, do what you can. It's no secret that when David Cutcliffe was here calling plays, you know, you were better. Scrap this crap. Let's make let's let's get rid of Chief Chavis, who's not very good, who's past his prime. Let him go to LSU or whatever other job he's using to get a raise up here for. Um and and, and let's 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 just, you know, let's get you four or five more years, Phil. Uh, if you're not going to do that, which at the time, Mike, they weren't going to do that. Now, Fulmer had run its course. Um, you know, Lane Kiffin kind of fits the mold of what you need at Tennessee. You need a recruiter. You need a guy that's going to go out and sell the program. He was on his way, I think, with a pretty good seven and six year, his first year. Um, now, they got whipped by Virginia Tech in the Peach Bowl, but they also whipped Georgia at home and you know, beat South Carolina that year and kind of, you know, did well. Um, and at that point, it was 2009. They were two years off from their last SEC East. He stays. I think he recruits well enough, Mike. But that's my point. To get I, I don't mean to interrupt you. But yeah. my point, because he's such a wild card in general. Yeah. See, I really don't have a problem with the I'm, – I'm in the minority here. I don't have a problem with the firing of Phil Fulmer because I remember what where Tennessee football was going at that point. And I just thought the magic of Phil, the, the luster ran off. I, I think it was time. Uh, but you don't make that move if your next hire is a wild card. And Lane Kiffin is the ultimate wild card, which is why even though his stock has gone up, I still wouldn't hire. If I'm an SEC program, I'm not going after Lane Kiffin. I'm not dealing with the nonsense. I'm not going to babysit. And I'm not going to be, uh, be kind of hamstrung to a guy who – at any moment, depending on which direction the wind blows, can leave my program after two, three years, or in the case of Tennessee, after one. Ooh. So I, I still view that as a bad hire because of that. And then, of course, Derek Dooley was a very uninspired hire. Uh, and then Butch Jones, <laughs> you could pretty much argue the same. So to me, that's three bad hires in a row. Yeah, and for, mean- a, for a marquee program to have three bad hires, we all have, every program has one, right? I mean, you, you, I mentioned Mike DuBose at Alabama. Every program, Florida hired Ron Zook. Florida hired uh, Jim McElwain. We know how that turned out. LSU hired uh, uh, my favorite, Jerry DiNardo. You know, I mean, Southern Cal has made bad hires. Michigan's made bad hires. If you go in the history of any program, you can find one. But three in a row, that's how you completely bludgeon a program. And Tennessee's been bludgeoned. So the question becomes, because I look at that schedule, and I know we're running out of time here. We we left a lot of meat on the bone for next week, which is good, because we are going to be back next week. But I look at that schedule, J.C., and I – like, Dan Mullen in Tennessee, if they figure something out at quarterback, if Felipe Franks can remotely resemble an SEC quarterback, they could win nine games. I truly believe that. If that happens, that's a big if. Tennessee, they'll be lucky if they get to six. I don't care how good of a, a, a job that is turned in under a first-year head coach, who, granted, his, his best attribute has been recruiting. Well, that might be great down the road, but you know, for, for right now, that doesn't solve the problems at hand. That's a roster, and that's a schedule. They'll be lucky to win six. And I just wonder, what's realistic for Tennessee, not this year, two years from now, uh, three years from now, what are going to be the expectations on that program with that hire? Yeah, and he's got to change culture up there too. I think the culture eroded under Butch Jones. I think that was part of the problem. He got he signed some talented players up there, and he he just could never 
maximize them. And, and quite frankly, I don't, I don't think he was a good football coach and wasn't even, I don't think he was ever really a fit for that job. They got excited because he recruited well and he took them from five to five to nine or whatever. It just could never get over the hump. I think that, uh, with Florida, people have to keep this in mind about Florida, and I, and I'm not ready to jump on the Florida's going to win the East bandwagon that some people are on or, or contend with Georgia or whatever. They were four and seven last year, sure, but two of their out of conference games were Michigan on a neutral field and Florida State, uh, and they lost those, of course. Uh, and those are not easy games. Florida State was six and six, but obviously. You know, they're still a leg up on the Gators in that situation. Uh, you know, so, so they didn't have a weak sister of the poor, and that one of their games was canceled. So right. they, they could have been a bowl team. Good Florida point. could have been a bowl team last year. Tennessee had no chance. 0-8. No. 0-8 in the league. Lost to – blown out by Vanderbilt. And that's – it blown out 50-16 to 16 by Missouri or whatever. That's culture. That's we quit. And that's going to be Pruitt's biggest deal. And Florida's schedule, much, much more favorable. They could start, you know, realistically, they could start 6-7-0 and um, when you look at how it lines up, home versus away, that type of thing. So, so I'm with you on that. I think both of those schools, I'm going to point this out to all the people that want to consistently talk about those two being, you know, powers or whatever. Tennessee has not won a division since 2007. Florida has won a division, but they have not been good by their standards since the 2009 team when Tebow was a senior. Uh, I think most Gator fans would agree those two division title winning teams were a product of um, Will Muschamp and his defensive recruiting. Uh, he could have easily won those. Um, it was nothing McIlwain did. Obviously, there's a reason McIlwain's fired. So, and, what, and a horrific Eastern division, by the way. Well, we're going on a decade now before these two programs have been relevant and, and you got to kind of wonder, with the consistent turnover, if they're not kind of where Bama was when they had DeBose, Price, the Price era, Shula, where, where they finally get caged animal syndrome and go and say, we're going to hire the best coach we possibly can and throw whatever it takes at him. Neither one are there yet. Mullen's a good hire, and I have a lot of faith in Pruitt, but um, neither one have gone out yet during this transition period. Uh, and done anything that would cause fireworks. Why don't you tell everybody about our sponsor, Mike? I, I will do that, and, and that is this is a guy who you can depend on, and unlike coaching hires, which can be uh, kind of a gamble, there's no gamble when you shop with BP Skinner Clothiers. Brent Skinner and company do an outstanding job, and the great news is, and I know we've got people that listen to this podcast all over the country, it doesn't matter where you are, you can take advantage of the terrific selection, terrific prices, and customer service, custom-made suits. They will basically make out your entire wardrobe for you. And I I have learned firsthand, everything looks better when it's custom-made. Off the rack is fine, but pay the little extra and and look your very best. You'll feel so much better that you did. And Brent Skinner brings a team uh, with incredible experience and know-how. And again, he'll come to you. You just go to bpskinnerclothiers.com. You call them up. You set up an appointment. You tell them you heard about it on JC and Morgan, and they will come right to your door. You don't have to move a muscle other than standing up, getting a few measurements, and an incredible selection. I still get compliments of the things that I've been able to wear very often on uh, television. 
if I'm looking good on TV, it's because of this man. It's because of Brent Skinner. Sure as heck isn't because of anything that I'm doing special. Brent is my secret weapon. He can be yours as well. Go to bpskinnerclothiers.com. Proud sponsor of the JC and Morgan podcast and a guy that's been outfitting coaches, announcers, players, uh, uh, broadcasters, uh, and insurance salesmen, hedge fund managers, stockbrokers, whatever you might do. Uh, he's got you taken care of. It's bpskinnerclothiers.com. Like I said, JC, we've left a lot of meat on the bone, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of things uh, out of Atlanta that we didn't even get to. The good news is we got another hour next week, so we will get to it then. Oh, yeah, we'll be fired up about that and uh, more college football talk. And I, uh, I'm glad we're back, Mike. I, I think this podcast is going to uh, really make some noise. Just like it did last year, I think we're mm-hmm. in year three of our build, and I think it's going to uh, really do some good things this uh, this football season. Totally agreed. It's it's so much fun to do it. And again, thank you folks out there for all the kind words you've passed along. You can also catch us on the Twitter at Morgan on Air. Any comments, questions, complaints you have, fire them along at a J at J C Sherbert as well. And uh, again, we'll be back with you next week. And a final reminder, JC, for those that do not have the podcast yet, maybe you're new to the podcast world, how do the folks get in touch with it? Uh, You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, uh, Google Play. You can download the Stitcher app. uh, And those are usually the three best ways to get it. Uh, Also, podcasts like uh, podcasting apps like Podcast Mania, things of that nature, just about anywhere that pulls from iTunes. Uh, you can subscribe to our podcast. And we certainly, we tweet out the link, put it all over Facebook, all that good stuff. So you guys can roll, rock and roll with us about college football each and every week. But hit that subscribe button, rate it five stars or four stars. Don't complain. Don't put any complaints on there uh, because that helps us get more and more listeners that we love like you guys. Even if you disagree with us, that's okay. We don't take it personally. We still hope it's a five-star outfit that we're putting on each and every week. And we'll be back with you next week for J.C. Sherbert, Mike Morgan saying so long for now. College football, it's not that far off, folks. We'll talk to you soon. Something extraordinary has happened to Judy Sizemore's closet, making it feel more like a closet. 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 An area that once caused claustrophobia now has enough space Space. Space. to hold all of Judy's striped boat neck sweaters. And Judy Sizemore has a lot of striped boat neck sweaters. The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha, through October 13th. The Container Store, where space comes from. Something extraordinary has happened to Judy Sizemore's closet, making it feel more like a closet. 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 An area that once caused claustrophobia now has enough space Space. Space. to hold all of Judy's striped boat neck sweaters. And Judy Sizemore has a lot of striped boat neck sweaters. The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha, through October 13th. The Container Store, where space comes from.